Galatians chapter 1. We're, we're, we're going to look at four solid truths about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're gonna, we saw last week as Mike taught that uh, Paul was writing this book of Galatians to a region, not to a city, but to a region. Galatia was a region with churches in it, with cities that Paul had started some of these churches in. There was Iconium, there was Pisidian Antioch, there's different, there's Lystra where Paul got stoned. Remember outside that city, he got uh, executed by the Jews. And so <clears throat> this is a region, Galatian region, where there was churches, where Paul started churches in separate cities within that region. And Paul brought, brought a gospel of grace. Remember, uh, Mike taught about the gospel of grace last week. They called it the organic gospel. And Paul's gospel of grace was very simple. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not as a result of no, uh, that no man should boast, right? He, he described this gospel back in the first part of the chapter <clears throat> about grace when he said in verses 3 and 4, grace to you and peace, verse 3 of chapter 1, from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, here's the gospel, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God and Father. That's the gospel. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes should not perish but you have eternal life. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. That's the gospel of grace. And all we need to do, Romans 10, 9, confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, and we're saved. Philippian jailer asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But there's a problem in the Galatian region. There was false teachers coming in. They were polluting this gospel of grace. And they were saying to the churches after Paul left on his missionary journey and going to other regions, these false legalistic Judaizers started coming in. said, Paul's got it wrong. It's too simple. If you really want to be saved, what you need to do is you need to get circumcised. This was to adults. That's a, that's a tough sell right there. Yeah, ouch! And he all, they all not only said, Jews, you got to get circumcised, but if you really want to be saved, you got to go back to law. you got to keep the law of the Old Testament to be saved. Not only that, you need to become a Jew. If you really want to be saved, you need to become a Jew. And then you can really be saved. So what were they doing? It was grace plus other stuff. And whenever someone adds stuff to God's grace deny it because we're, we're justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through his grace alone. And that's it. That's it. Otherwise, it's a polluted gospel. Otherwise, it's not an organic, as Mike taught last week. It's not organic gospel. It's a polluted gospel. And I tell you what, Paul was blowing a gasket with these guys. He was so upset. Someone was coming in and polluting his gospel of grace. Go back to chapter 1 again, verse 6. Look, look, remember what he said. He says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only that there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we preach to you, he's to be accursed. And as we said before, so I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you receive, the gospel of grace, he is to be accursed. Remember the word accursed means anathema. It means damned to hell. Paul's, Paul's got some, he's got, he's, he's, he's pretty upset here. And so what he's saying there is don't listen to anybody 
that brings a different gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is grace alone, faith alone, the Word of God alone. Hmm. I think of the Church of Mormons. You know, listen, there's a brainwashing that's going on in our southern culture. I've seen it. I've seen Christians that are convinced that Mormons are just another denomination, and they're Christians too. No! Next time the Mormons knock on your door, if you want to ask them a question, ask them, is Jesus God? And if they're truthful with you, they'll say he's not God, he's not creator, he's just a son of God like we're sons of God. That's a different gospel. It's wrong. And it's also they pollute the gospel of grace because Mormons and all the other false religions out there add to what Christ has done and say you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this to really be saved. And what Jesus did is he, he, it's done. He said it is finished, paid for in full. And the gospel says your sins are covered the moment you put a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Interesting, the Mormon church too, by the way, the Mormon church has a whole other book called the Book of Mormon, and the reason why they have the Book of Mormon is that they say the Holy Bible has been corrupted and it needs the correction of the Book of Mormon. No, it doesn't. Revelation 22 makes it very clear that if any man adds or takes away from the words of this book, the Holy Bible, they're to be cursed. That's wrong. And you know, what also what's interesting is the Mormon church says this. The Mormon church says an angel from heaven called Moroni came to Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon church, gave him special glasses so he could read these tablets that were dug up in a yard somewhere, and all of a sudden that's the Book of Mormon. What did Paul say? If an angel from God gives you a different gospel, let them, no, be accursed. No, don't believe that. That's why we need to stick with God's word, church. The only thing that has authority in our faith and our practice is the true living Word of God. And if it goes against God's Word, don't believe it no matter who tells you, whether it's an angel from God tells you, don't believe it. Now listen, here's what we're going to do today. Second half of the chapter, chapter 1, Paul goes on and gives us four more solid truths of why the gospel of Jesus Christ is a real and a true, authentic gospel. And that's one of the the things I love about our, our, our gospel of Christ and the truth of Jesus Christ is it's verifiable, it's true, it's not based on fact, or it's not based on fable or fairy tales, it's based on fact and reason and truth. This is what Peter said about that in 1 Peter, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we don't follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power. Let's go ahead and put up on the screen there. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we do not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were, notice, eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received glory and, or honor and glory from God the Father, such as an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have this prophetic word made sure to which you do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. See the authority of what we believe there? It's not based on fable or fairy tale. It's based on the fact of God's word and the fact that this isn't made up by men, cleverly devised tales by men. That's why we're told in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, God speaking, Come, now let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they'll be like, well, you know what that's saying? We have a reasonable faith. 
That's why Peter said in, in uh, uh, 1 Peter 3.15, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone, to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. We have a reasonable faith. We have a faith that can be defended. We can have a faith that we could explain to people not as legends, not as fairy tales, but as fact and truth. When I first came to Christ, God put a wonderful mentor in my life. I've talked about him often, uh, Dr. Dave, Dr. Dave Reed. He was a, a brilliant guy. He actually was a doctorate, not in theology. He had his PhD in metallurgical engineering. This guy was a brilliant guy. And what happened is after he went in the engineering field, made a lot of money, the Lord laid on his heart, he's a strong Christian. I, I don't want you to do an engineering. I want you to be in the ministry. So he went back to Gordon Seminary in Boston and got his MDiv in theology. And then God called him to be a Bible college professor in my hometown, Oak Park, Illinois. And then he started having this Friday night Bible study at his house for high school students and college students that were new Christians that needed to be discipled in God's word. And if you feed them, they will come. We did. Free dinner at Dr. Dave's. And then he just opened up the word. I'll never forget Bible studies at Dr. Dave's because this guy had studied the Bible and he had outlined every chapter of every book in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And he had it memorized. And he, he would just have open Bible studies on Friday night after dinner where he said, okay, college students, high school students, whatever questions you have about the spiritual life, just ask them and I'll try to answer them the best I can from Genesis to Revelation to answer your questions. And I'll never forget some of those Bible studies because he didn't just give us a verse from Matthew or a verse from you know, Galatians. He, he, he answered questions like, well, Habakkuk 3.2 says. And I'd say, where's Habakkuk? I didn't even know that was in the Bible because I was a brand new Christian. And I, I remember trying to look at Habakkuk. Where is it? <laughs> I have to go to the index to find it. And he's quoting these verses from memory of all over the scriptures answering our spiritual questions. I remember one time talking to Dr. Dave after one of those Bible studies, and I had been reading the Gospels, and I found this in the Gospel of Matthew and this in the Gospel of Luke, and they seemed to contradict each other. I said, Dr. Dave, there's a contradiction in Scripture here. This is this about the account. This is this about the account. And then he sat down with me, and we went through both accounts, and he explained how they worked together. And he said, John, there is never a contradiction in Scripture. If there's a contradiction in Scripture, it's because you haven't studied it well enough yet. And then he explained that to me, and it made sense to me. I remember being in those Bible studies and realizing there is veracity to the truth of my Christianity. It's a reasonable faith, right? So let's look at four pillars, four truths that will verify that what we believe isn't just a legend, a fairy tale, or a fable. You ready, church? You ready, church? All right, let's go. All right, chapter 1, verse 11. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither, neither received it from man, nor as I taught it, but I received it through what? A revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's, here's what he's going to say in this section. He says, I didn't get this stuff spoon-fed to me by apostles. I didn't make this stuff up. This isn't some legend I made up about Jesus Christ and his gospel. I received it from Jesus Christ. Here's the first truth about the supports of veracity of what we believe, is it has a divine origin, the gospel of Jesus Christ. How'd that happen with Paul? Acts chapter 9. Paul's a Pharisee. He's an enemy of the gospel. He wants to stomp out Christianity because it's, 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 it's threatening his Judaism and his legalistic view of the law and all the things he stood for. 
He's stomping his way to Damascus to imprison and kill some Christians. Man, and actually it says in the book of Acts, he was breathing murderous threats as he stomped his way to Damascus. You remember what happened? All of a sudden, the light brighter than the noonday sun shone around him and knocked him to the ground. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And the voice from heaven, God, said, I'm Jesus, the one that you've been persecuting. And at that moment, I could just see Saul as a legalistic Pharisee, a man that studied the Old Testament scriptures, thinking, man, I am toast. I, where's the lightning bolts? I'm, God's just going to wipe me off the face of the earth. And God didn't. God gave him a direct revelation, I believe, starting at that point of the gospel of grace. Because instead of condemnation, instead of judgment, God gave him grace. And then it even says in Acts that God showed him how he was going to be an instrument that was going to bring this gospel of grace that he was revealing to him to kings, to magistrates, and even to the Gentiles. And it was progressive. We're going to see later in this scripture, Paul had a lot of learning to do on this thing, but the direct revelation from God himself to Paul happened on that road to Damascus. And that's one of the reasons why what we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not man-made. It's got a divine origin. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, love that guy. He wrote on mere Christianity. And C.S. Lewis was a brilliant man too, by the way. He was a professor at Oxford in England. He was amazing, 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 brilliant mind. But he says in, in, in mere Christianity, he said, I believe in Christianity for one reason is I believe in Christianity is, is it's something that is so different than everything else. It, 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 it's got a divine origin because this isn't something that man would make up. This idea of a God in heaven if you don't believe in him and his son, Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in hell. It's not something that man would make up. What man would make up is, hey, we could become our own gods. We could have our own planet, i.e. Mormons. Or, or what man would make up, it's just be good enough and you'll get into heaven. That's not what Christianity says. Christianity says that God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and then dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. And then he died on a cross so that we, the gospel says, could be forgiven and a part of Jesus' family, adopted sons and daughters of God. It's amazing. And it's so different than all the other religions, C.S. Lewis said, it must have a divine origin because it's got this ring of truth because it's not something that man would make up. I agree with him. He has a number of other arguments for the validity also of Christianity within that book too. Look it up if you get a chance to read it. Mere Christianity, a great book on this issue of the divine origin of our Christianity. Interesting. You know, one of the reasons I'm a Calvary Chapel guy, too, by the way, is because our authority and what we teach here at Calvary Chapel has a divine origin also. You know why? Because we stick with God's Word. We're not going to give you man's advice here on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, men's breakfast, women's Bible study. We're going to give you verse-by-verse teaching through the inspired Word of God because all Scripture is God-breathed. Another version says it's inspired by God. So it could teach us and rebuke us, correct us, and train us in righteousness that we might be thoroughly equipped by this book. And you know what? If you want to have man's advice, if you want to have self-help talks, if you want to have stuff that's just origin with man, you need to go somewhere else because we're going to stick with the whole truth and nothing but the truth that we find in the inspired, God-breathed pages of this book. 
because this is going to give us divine origin of what we believe, and it's going to give us the proper understanding of not only the gospel, but the truth of God. And the truth will set us free as we stay with the authoritative word of God. Amen? So the first reason why what we believe is true, the gospel is true, it's got a divine origin. It goes all the way back to Paul's encounter with Jesus Christ upon the road to Damascus. Second reason, let's go on now, verse 13. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. Now, you've got to understand, you've got to understand, Paul was a Christian killer. He was a part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling elders of the nation of Israel. He was a part of the 70 top leaders in Israel. And when they killed the first uh, martyr, Stephen, Book of Acts tells us that they took Stephen's robe and they took Stephen's robe and they put it at the feet of Paul or Saul at the time who was one of the leaders of the nation of Israel and it says that Saul gave hearty approval to the killing of Stephen. Hearty approval. And again, when Acts 9, when he was going to Damascus, he was going there with breathing murderous threats. It's amazing the background of, when you look at the background of Saul, Christian killer, and then it goes on in verse 14. I, when I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Not only was Paul a Christian killer, he was a Pharisee. We're told that in Philippians, in his own kind of autobiography of himself, in Philippians 3, 5, and 6, he says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal of persecuted the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law. I was found blameless. Paul also, listen, was a rising star within Judaism. That's what he's talking about right here. He was not only a Pharisee, he was being discipled by the top religious rabbi of the day. His name was Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the, like the Billy Graham to the nation of Israel at the time. He was famous for being a great rabbi. And Paul was being discipled by this Gamaliel to the point where Gamaliel said, I only have one problem. Josephus says that Gamaliel said he had only one problem with his disciple Saul. And his problem was that he couldn't provide him with enough books for him to study. It's ferocious in his studying and his reading. He's a rising star within Judaism. But, verse 15 says, And when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb, called me through his grace, was well pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him, look at this, Pharisee, might preach him among the, what, Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Here's what it says. Paul says, I was a rising Pharisee star. I was a persecutor of the church. I went from that a Christian killer to someone who's going to preach to Gentiles. Now, you've got to understand, God's got a great sense of humor. Because Pharisees, Orthodox Jewish Pharisees, they, they didn't want anything to do with Gentiles. Their view of Gentiles was Gentiles are logs for the fire of hell. That's what they believed. And if, if they walked through a Gentile region, they'd get outside that area and they dust or they shake the dust off their feet because they didn't want the unholy dust from the Gentile area they're in. Nothing to do with that. Paul says, now I've moved from a hater of Gentiles to someone who's a preacher of Jesus, the Gentiles. Isn't that amazing? I'll tell you what, it's interesting there too. It said, hey, God had called me, set me apart to be a preacher of grace to Gentiles from my mother's womb. Why is that? Because he was born in Tarsus. 
Tarsus was one of the main learning educational cities of the Roman Empire. It was a major city within the Roman Empire. It was a place of not only great learning, but also Greek culture. The Jews, including Saul at that time, were uh, Hellenistic in Tarsus. What that means is they were trained not only in the Hebrew schools, they were trained in the Greek culture. And so Paul, brilliant man, read the book of Romans, you see how brilliant he is. He was brilliant, but he's also Jewish, Pharisee who studied all the Old Testament scriptures, memorized the entire Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He memorized the first five books of the Bible, had all this scripture trained in him, but he was also part of the Greek culture. And we all know from the book of Acts, he was a Roman citizen, perfect man. Now to bring the Old Testament scriptures into the Gentile world with this gospel of grace. See how God set him apart from his mother's womb? God's done the same thing with you too. He's got a mission. He's got a purpose and a plan for you. Set apart from your mother's womb. He's, got a, he's, he's, he's put things in your background to make you perfect for the plan that he has for your life. Set apart from your mother's womb. But here's the second thing that validifies the truth of our Christianity. First thing, divine origin. Second thing is it radically changes our lives. Look at this guy, Christian killer. Goes to be the greatest missionary the church of Jesus Christ has ever seen to the Gentile world. This guy was persecuting the church. Now he's preaching the gospel of grace to the church and to the Gentile world. Amazing difference God makes. The Bible says, what, one of the things that validifies our Christianity, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Another version says new creation. I actually translate it, it could be new species. <laughs> the old is gone, the new has come. And one of the things he can't argue with is when Christ really gets a hold of someone's life, he changes that person from the inside out. Amen? I mean, you can't argue with a changed life, right? <laughs> I look, we see it happen here all the time at Calvary Chapel. It's wonderful. We see people on a monthly basis, weekly basis sometimes come to Christ. We see our U-turn for Christ. Comes, guys come in here and they're coming off the streets and then they find Christ and their whole life drastically, radically changes. I think of our pastor Steve, the, uh, our pastor for, our senior pastor for our U-turn for Christ. He, he's been with us, I think he said last service, 17 years now, pastoring our U-turn for Christ. But just a year before he came to, to our U-turn and helped us get everything uh, where it's at with U-turn for Christ, he was on the streets of Los Angeles and he was homeless, doing crack, doing all kinds of craziness. And then he found U-Turn for Christ and got saved. And he is a whole different creature. Amazing. I hear him walk, laughing through our hallways in the office, singing praise songs, and I'm going, this guy has changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's in him. It's changed him from the inside out. And I see it not just in our U-Turn. I see it in people in our church all the time. I see marriages changed. I see lives changed. I see people's whole ethic and values changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what, church? That's the second thing that validifies or, or gives veracity to what our truth of Christianity is. It changes our lives. It does. Again, if we're in Christ, we are changed from the inside out to new creatures, new creations, and God just keeps doing that work in us and through us. It's amazing. I love it, too. It's fun to see change. It's fun to see transformation. It's fun to see people go from being blind to seeing, being lost to being found, being on a fast track for hell to even faster track to heaven. It's fun. And that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ does. And you know what? One of the 
tools in our arsenal against the devil is now in the blood of the Lamb, but the word of our testimony. We need to use that, church. When we're sharing with people on the world what Christ has done in our life, we need to share the difference Christ has made in our lives, that we're new creations. He's changed us. And we need to remind ourselves of that, too. Sometimes when we have doubts, we have struggles, we have battles, we have trials, go back to the day you got saved. And remember, we overcome the evil one by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. You might say, whoa, I don't got a testimony. I don't remember a day I got saved. Here's what I'm going to say to you this morning. Get saved then. Today could be your day. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Get a day. Make it today. And he'll change you from the inside out also. Just like he did Saul, who became Paul. Interesting. Saul, in the original language, his name means destroyer. And he was trying to destroy the church. And then his name was changed to Paul. And Paul literally means translated little one. It's humbled by the grace of God. Pretty cool. All right, now go on. Let's, let's close up our chapter, verse 17. Nor, after, after this transformation of his life, verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Here's what Saul is saying. I got saved on the road to Damascus, but then after that, I didn't consult with anybody. I just went to Arabia, to the desert, basically, to try to figure this thing out. And then verse 18, three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cyphus and stayed with him 15 days. So three years after he was saved, he went to Cyphus. Who's Cyphus? Peter. And it's interesting, he said he became acquainted with Cyphus. The word acquainted there, interesting. Original language, it means to be like a tourist that's going to a great monument and looking at that monument. Here's Here's what he's saying. I had the opportunity after three years to go to Jerusalem and see this Petros, Peter, the rock. Jesus called him the rock. I I had an opportunity for 15 days to spend time with the rock and learn all he learned from from Jesus. And he spent three years, Peter, remember, spent three years eating with Jesus, doing ministry with Jesus, hanging out with Jesus, being discipled by Jesus. And Paul said, I had the opportunity, like a tourist going to a great monument, to see the Cyphus, the one who declared Jesus as the Christ. And then he said, after that, verse 19, I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, James, that's not really brother, that's half-brother. Because remember, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. James was born of Joseph and Mary. Uh, Jesus was born just of Mary and the Holy Spirit. But interesting, James, we know from the Scriptures, also was skeptical about Jesus. Until 1 Corinthians 15 said that Jesus appeared to James after post uh, uh, resurrection, at, in his resurrected state, he appeared to James. And then James, his brother, went to become a, a believer. And we're going to see later in Galatians, he now became a believer. He became one of the pillars of the New Testament church, wrote a book by the name of James. And he started that book saying, James, uh, the brother of Jesus. No, he didn't say that. He didn't uh, name drop. He said, James, a bondservant of the Lord. Jesus Christ. And also, interesting, he got a nickname. His, his name was called Camel Knees, New Testament Church, because he spent so much time after he came to saving faith in his brother, Jesus Christ, that he would spend all his, just hours and hours and hours praying to, to the point that he had calluses all over his knees from his, his extended times of prayer. And Paul spent some time with this James. 
Now, verse 20. Now, in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God, I'm not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. That's close to Tarsus, where he's from. And I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith, which he once tried to destroy. They were glorifying God because of me. Here's the next thing that points to the veracity and the validity of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of Jesus Christ. Here's what it is. It's, it's contagious. Look what Paul's saying there. He's saying, I used to try to destroy this faith, and now I'm preaching the faith I once, once tried to destroy. And one of the things that makes Christianity true is if you truly get the truth of Jesus Christ, you can't keep it to yourself. What did Jesus say? Follow me. What did he say? I'm going to make you fishers of men. That's just a part of following Christ. You become contagious. He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you what? You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And our commission is what Jesus said in Mark 6, 15, 16, 15. He said, go into all the world and preach this gospel to all creation. And then he said in Matthew 28, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. And one of the things that I see within Christianity is when people truly get it, they can't keep it to themselves. They've got to pass it on to other people. They've got to be contagious. The guy that led, that led me to Christ, Bruce Barkley, I talk about him often also, along with Dr. Dave Majorim, impact on me as a young Christian. Never forget how he, he'd share Christ with anybody, including me. He spent six months sharing Christ with me, walking home from school every day, and the conversation would always go back to Jesus and how I needed to get saved. He shared Jesus with me because he was contagious. He's on fire Christian. He's a real deal. And I remember, remember we had this gymnastics team we were all part of, and it, guys were dropping like flies because everybody on the team was being witnessed to by Bruce. I mean, Gus Vandiver got saved. I got saved. Uh, uh, coaches started getting saved. The head coach gets saved. The strength coach gets saved. And it's just this contagion was going on because there was real Christianity there. And real Christianity will be contagious, be passed on because you follow Jesus, he'll make you a fisher of men. I remember going to a movie one time with Bruce right after I got saved. It was Lake Theater on Lake Avenue in Oak Park, Illinois, where I grew up. And uh, there was a long line. It was a popular movie. I forgot. It might have been Jaws or something. It was way back in the 70s. But uh, I remember waiting in line with Bruce. And we're waiting in line. I just said, oh, we'll get some popcorn. This would be great. And the people behind us, Bruce starts talking to some other young people behind us. Next thing I know, he's sharing the gospel with the people behind us in a movie line. And we're going, oh, <laughs> Bruce, what are you doing, you know? But that's just what it was. Christianity had, had infected him. And he was going to pass it on and be contagious and share it with other people. Hey, church, that's what we need to be about too. We've been left behind. The reason why we don't get raptured as soon as we get saved, to get out of this world, is we've been left behind to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you fishers of men. We're going to have banners. And I already talked to Ronnie, who does our vinyl around here and stuff. We're going to have banners above every single duck in this church starting the first week in January. And it's going to say, 2019, our theme for 2019, each one, reach one. We're going to do that. 
Because we're called to be fishers of men. We're called to be contagious. And that validifies the truth that when we're so excited about what we believe, we're passing it on to other people, it gives veracity to what we believe. And that's how we need to be. We need to be contagious Christians. And also, what's interesting in this scripture also, what's interesting to me, is last thing, last point, we'll close with this this morning. Go back to verse 22. Paul says, I was still unknown by sight in the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. This is 8 to 12 years after his Damascus Road experience. After getting saved, this great Pharisee says, I was just living in obscurity. Oh, no. Here's the last point about the truth of our Christianity. is Listen, church, very important. If you're really saved, you need to understand it ain't gonna, your sanctification process and your usability within the kingdom isn't going to happen overnight. Paul says, hey, I was still 12 years almost after I came to Christ on the Damascus Road. I was just living in Cilicia in this area of Galatia or this area by Tarsus. I was just living there in obscurity until Barnabas came and grabbed him and brought him back to Antioch and made him one of the pastors of the church in Antioch. He was just, and you know what I think Paul was doing that, or Saul, Saul who became Paul was doing that during the 8 to 12 years? He's probably just studying his Old Testament scriptures. Realizing the truth that Jesus Christ was real, and he was going back to Isaiah 53, saying, Ah, he was pierced through for my transgression. That's Jesus. Ah, he was crushed for my iniquities. That's Jesus. Oh, he was scorched for my healing. And he was reorienting his whole theological perspective based on what he experienced and Jesus Christ being real. It took time to change his whole paradigm, it took time for Christ to change his heart. And it's going to take time with you too, and it's going to take time with me. And so we need to understand, if we don't feel like God's using us enough right now, that's okay. It takes time. Just like with Saul, it takes time for God to work in us before he's going to work through us in significant ways. Keith Green, one of my guys I love, you know, it's funny. I think we're the only radio station in the United States that's still playing Keith Green. I just love the guy. And I'm the senior pastor, and it's a Calvary Chapel radio station, so we're going to play Keith Green. Just amazing, amazing anointed worship and music by him. So, but anyways, I, <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking about Keith Green, because Keith Green was in his 20s, on fire Christian, before he died in a plane crash. But he was struggling with some areas, struggling with his theology, struggling with his understanding of grace. And one time he had a meeting with Leonard Ravenhill, great evangelist, for, he was an older man at the time, and he started discipling Keith Green. And Keith Green said to Leonard Ravenhill, this old, strong evangelist, he said, he said, Leonard, why am I still struggling in some of these areas? Why am I still struggling with my character and with my sin and with godliness? What's the matter with me? I've been a Christian now for like three years. I should have this together. Leonard Ravenhill looked at him and just shook his head and said, Keith, you need to understand. In my understanding of Christianity, it takes God a solid 30 years to make a true man of God that has Christ-like character. And you've only been doing this for three years. Give him some time. It takes time for God to work in us before he works through us. Amen? Interesting also, um, my pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, for the first 17 years of his ministry, he pastored little churches less than 100 people. And he, he bounced from church to church for 17 years because every two years he's so frustrated he went to a different church. And God took time in, in Pastor Chuck's life for 17 years to develop character so that when the windows of heaven finally opened and revival hit, he was ready for it. And he was a, a solid man of God. And now, look at this, Calvary Chapel that started in 1965 with, with uh, 25 people 
1,200 churches around the United States, probably about 1,000 overseas, Bible colleges on just about every continent, and God has influenced the world through Calvary Chapel. But God had some time to do work in Pastor Chuck's life before that could happen. So give God time is what I'm saying. I meet some people, they get saved, and they say, hey, tomorrow I'm going to the mission field. You just got saved. Get time, you know, who are you leading to Christ right now right here? Work on the mission field right around you first. And then go on the mission field. See what God will do. Hmm. Amen? Four truths about a Christianity. What, number one, what is it? It has a divine origin. Number two, truth that supports the veracity of our, of our Christianity, the gospel we believe. It radically changes lives. Number three, it's contagious, man. Number four, it takes time for God to work in us before he works through us. All right, we're talking about the gospel. So, hey, we got a new deal here at Calvary Chapel. We're going to start doing this. I gave them all out to the men and men's breakfast tomorrow. You can pick them up over at the uh, table over there, uh, just $2 a piece for the bracelets. But we're going to start using these gospel bracelets again. And so if you're here this morning, and some of you might, some, some of you might be here this morning and saying, I don't got a testimony because I don't know what you're talking about. It changed life. And, and so let me share the gospel with you this morning just through this bracelet. It's right here. And there's colors on this bracelet, okay? The first color on the bracelet about the gospel is white. You know what that stands for? God is holy. It's pure. Just as white as pure. God's holy. The Bible says there's angels around God's throne declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. God's holy. The second truth about the gospel, the second color there is black. That represents us. Even though we were all created in God's image, we're scarred, we're blackened by the depravity of our sin. The Bible says, Romans 3.23, all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. That's black. But there's another color there. After the black is red, you know what the red stands for? God demonstrates his own love for you, that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you and for me. The blood of Jesus has the ability to cleanse us from all our sin and what he did on the cross. That's what the red stands for. But then there's another color. That's blue. It represents heaven. And listen, heaven is a place that God wants us to spend the rest of eternity with him at. But we have, to, we have to do this if we want heaven. And that's what we need to believe. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Again, the Philippian jailer asked Paul, What must I do to be saved? Paul said simply, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Now what does it mean to believe? Believe means you put a trust in Jesus Christ alone to be your personal Savior and your personal Lord. And here's how you can do that. Romans 10.9 says, here's how you believe. You confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. And I encourage you this morning, if you've never done that, do it today. This could be your day. This could be your day of salvation. This could be your day where you get a testimony because God will come in your life and change you and make you the person that God's created you to be. If you've never done that, do it this morning. It'll be a great opportunity this morning. I'll lead you in a prayer where you can confess Jesus, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And let's pray. Let's pray right now, Christians.
in church. Father, we just thank you so much for another Sunday in your house, another Sunday we could study your word, another Sunday we could be just grounded in your truth, Lord. We want to be like that blessed man in uh, Psalm 1, that as we meditate on your word day and night, we'll be like a tree planted by streams of water, and our leaf will not wither, and whatever we do will prosper because we're men and women of the word. Help us to be people that stand with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to be people, Lord, that believe the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us, God, because it's got a divine origin. Help us to be Christians, too, that are contagious, Lord, that have radically changed lives. And we've got to share with other people because we can't be selfish with this gift of the gospel and the eternal life that you've given us, Lord. Set us on fire, Lord, to be contagious Christians. And Father, I pray too that you'd help us to be Christians too that remember that we're in this process. It's not going to happen overnight. We're in this process of being changed from glory to glory into your image. And help us to be patient with that work you're doing in each one of our lives, Lord. I pray for people here this morning that have just kind of given up. Reignite that flame in their heart, Lord, for that work that you're doing in them and through them, Lord. And Father, I pray for anybody that might be here this morning too that, that wants to cross the line of faith that wants to have a testimony, that wants to have a life that's changed. And if you're here this morning and you don't know for certain that you're right with God, you don't know for certain that you've received Christ, today's your day. I want to give you that certainty. And the Bible says Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. And he wants to come into your heart. But you've got to open your heart to him. If you've never done that this morning, I'll lead you in a prayer and just simply ask you to raise your hand and say, Pastor John, I want to pray to receive Christ this morning. I want to have a testimony. I want to have a life that's forgiven and changed by Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you want to do that this morning, I'd love to pray for you this morning. Here's all I ask you to do. Raise your hand right now and say, Pastor John, pray for me that I might have a testimony and that Christ might come into my heart. If you want to do that this morning, raise your hand right now and I'll pray for you right now. If you've never done that before, here's your opportunity. Do it this morning. Praise the Lord right here in the middle. Keep your hand up and I'll pray for you in just a second. Anybody else this morning? If you want to have Christ come into your heart and forgive your sin, today's your day. Don't put it off. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If he's knocking, open the door of your heart, and I'll lead you in a prayer that will help you do that. Anybody else? Just raise your hand right now, and I'll pray for you. Anybody else this morning? God's knocking. Don't, don't close that door. Open the door. Praise the Lord right back here in the corner. I'll pray for you in just a second. Anybody else? Raise your hand. I'll pray for you. Anybody else? If he's knocking, open the door. He'd love to come in and forgive you of your sin. All right, for those two that have their hands raised, I want you to be bold right now. I want you to stand up and I'm going to pray for you. Just stand up and I'll pray a prayer right now for you that will help you receive Christ. Go ahead and stand. Just pray out loud this prayer right now. And the church, pray with them. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I trust you, Jesus, to be my Savior. Lord Jesus, I confess you as my Lord, and I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And Lord Jesus, I will live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord, you guys. Praise the Lord.